Hello and welcome to season four of the Another Startup Story podcast with Carmen. Um, the aim of this podcast is to educate and inspire you through your entrepreneurial journey as a new or a well-seasoned entrepreneur. So I'm really excited that you've joined us today in this conversation where I'll be talking to inspiring individuals that share their insights and tips to improve aspects in your business and your personal life. So on today's episode, I'm talking to Chris Bello, who is an expert not just in the world of real estate, but also um, in the area of mindfulness and entrepreneurship. So he's actually got his own podcast, um, not on real estate, but on (laughs) mindfulness and entrepreneurship. Um, And it's got over 40,000 downloads a month. Um, And Chris is really much on a mission to help people become the best versions of themselves, which is kind of why we connected um, based on that joint vision. Um, And so today... Well, I'm actually recording this episode from Singapore whilst Chris is located over in Texas, right? Yes, in Houston, Texas. So it's his really early morning and my (laughs) quite late. (laughs) We had to find um, a happy medium at some some time in the day. (laughs) But yeah, welcome uh, welcome to the show, Chris. How's it all going? Thank you. Thank you so much, Carmen. I appreciate it. It's going great. You know, starting my morning off great, did my morning meditation <laughs> and have a cup of coffee. So crazy cats who wakes up at, is it 5 a.m.? I've been waking up at, at 5.30 or 6 usually. So I, I still get my seven or eight hours of sleep. But, you know, I went to sleep at 10 last night. <laughs> <laughs> Such a wild one. But um, are you are you guys in lockdown right now? Um, not not quite in lockdown. I think, um, I mean, in Texas, things were pretty open most of the time. I know mm-hmm. some places like California, I think restaurants, you can only eat outside. The insides are still closed. Here, things are open. I've been going to the gym every day. You know, you got to wear masks and social distance. But yeah. I my life never really changed that much. Fortunately, knock on wood, I kept up with my routines this entire year. Wow. I'm having my best real estate year ever. So I like to be the positive light because a lot of people focus on all the negative stuff. And I'm like, I'm trying to do my best to just be positive every day and do, you know, whatever I can to make a good difference in the world, I guess. Yeah, totally. And we need those positive people like you, you know, to kind of keep us pulling us forward. Um, Right. But, you know, before we kind of get stuck into everything. I have to ask, how is how is it living in the states right now with you know the elections <laughs> and everything going on? Is the tension just off the it's, roof? It's a little crazy. I mean, I I personally we I may, we may have talked about this when you were on my show as well. Is that I just really never watch the news. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's too extreme where I'm just I don't care what's going on in the world. I'm going to do my best every day, and I'll tell my parents stuff like that too. Like, hey, if tomorrow an asteroid's coming for Earth. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to go to the gym. And if I die when I'm at the gym, so be it. I will go down swinging, right? So the there is some tension. I mean, my social media feed, I'm seeing people of both sides and, oh, you know, there's there's yeah. voter fraud or this or that. And I'm just here chipping away, <laughs> getting more clients and doing more deals. And um, what, one thing an entrepreneur that I that I follow said at an event that I went to last year before everything got canceled this year. He said, it doesn't matter who's the president or what's going on. Entrepreneurs create their own economy. And I really loved that. I was like, if you're successful and you're solving problems, it doesn't matter who's in charge. You're going to be successful. It's so interesting you said that because I was literally listening to a a podcast the other day by, he's quite a famous pastor, but he was saying how 
um, yeah, like we put way too much emphasis on who is going to be the next president of the United States. And yes, right. we have a big influence on policy, but actually we, that doesn't stop us from being able to create our own futures and our own opportunities and, and still continue to try and make change in the world because, yeah, ultimately our futures and destinies don't fall in the hands of the, the presidents of the United <laughs> Right. And I mean, I guess it's a big deal. And there's just so so much uh, divisiveness lately. You know, you got to be on this side or the other. Mm. Uh, I've always been very like, you know, hey, if you're a good person and you do good to others, then, you know, they'll do good to you, hopefully. And so I know people have been joking, oh, you know, who's ready for the Civil War or like, you know, the the season finale of America. I'm like, I hope that doesn't happen because I want to be able to go to the gym and do my routine without like a battle breaking out in the neighborhood or something, you know? So, so far, so good. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I just, I, I just had to ask, you know, <laughs> you know, just been like messaging all my friends. Yeah, if, if you hear any like bullets in the background or anything, I mean, I don't know, that might be the beginning of the purge or something. <laughs> Crazy. But I'm a bit like you, I actually don't really indulge in the news too much either. I think after hearing Nate Tim Ferriss giving me the permission not to, or as in yes. really do the same, it's just such a big distraction and it's negative energy. So it really I, is. I have the same uh, perspective as you. So yeah, aside from all that madness, um, <laughs> but just I guess for our audience who's listening right now, who um, doesn't really know too much about um, your background, can you give us a bit of a lowdown in your professional journey so far? Yeah, absolutely. So behind me, if, if you're watching the video, instead of listening to the podcast, I have, um, it's funny, my college degree is to the side and my first real estate deal check is framed directly behind me because I kind of value the check. What You can't really see it, but the check I value more than the degree in a way because the degree cost me a lot of time and money and I, I took a lot of classes that I still don't see what the point was. And the check was my first real estate deal, which was like a 10,000 US dollar uh, deal and it showed me the potential of, wow, I could, I could generate income. But to take it a step back, I did go to college and I was just kind of following the path that I thought I was supposed to go down, right? I went to um, a Catholic middle school. I um, followed my friends to like a Jesuit all boys high school. I had a lot of friends from the Catholic school. Like the girls went to this school called St. Agnes. I went to this school called Straight Jesuit. They were like, across the parking lot and you did a couple of co-ed classes, but it was very, uh, a higher end college prep experience. From there, I went to college from college. I got an oil and gas job. And so I was just going through the path, right? I got my education. I got a quote unquote dream job that I thought I would love. And then three years in three and a half years in, I started to question and like, well, this isn't very fun. And those managers have been here for 10 and 15 years and that's what they have to do every day. Like, I don't want to do that. And so it became clear that like the path that I was on, I did this supply chain rotation program that was grooming you for leadership, but I didn't want to be a leader at that company. It just seemed overly stressful and I wasn't very interested. And I came from a business background, not an engineering background. So the tools and all the the cool things I didn't really understand and I wasn't very interested in it. And I started reading books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The 4-Hour Workweek. Yeah. Man, I could leave this cubicle. I can make money. Like, I need lifestyle freedom, right? And yeah, so the way the story goes, just the the short version, my friend and I had started to invent a product that was in the supplement space. We had a patent on it, and we tried to go the manufacturing route. 
and I actually quit my job in March of 2017 to pursue that full time. It ended up costing a lot more time and money than I expected. And I basically ran out of money and I had to pivot. And so that that's how I kind of found my way into real estate. I was like, well, I need a way to make money. I'm not really making money for my little side hustles here and there in real estate. Like you, we talked about before you hit record, real estate's a way that a lot of people attain wealth. And so I started aligning myself there, um, joined a team. I, I kind of put my tail between my legs and admitted that I needed mentors. And I actually got a job for about a year in real estate. And that's where I got that first check, that first deal um, behind me. And then fast forward a year after, a year or two after that, I'm here on my own. I had my biggest real estate month last month. And the momentum's going where I've got referrals and contacts and clients and leads coming to me from people I haven't talked to in years. It's been really amazing to see. Yeah, that's amazing. And I guess just before we kind of go into the real estate uh, yeah. I would love to have known what your thought process was like when you decided to make that leap to start the supplement business. Um, yeah. What, you know, yeah, just talk us through that moment before you were like, right, I'm going to leave my job and do this. Absolutely. So I guess it's interesting with your confidence and how you go through things. Like I'm watching, um, what's it called? The, the last dance on Netflix with Michael Jordan. And I'm not a very yeah. big sports person, but I love the story of an, you know, a successful person who's just pushing through. Yeah. And there's a moment where he, he said a certain game that he won gave him the confidence where he went from Mike to Michael. That's when he became Michael. And so I, I say that random thing. It seems like it's random, but I kind of, became Chris or Christopher or whatever. My full name's Christopher, but I felt very confident after a few years, you know, in that oil and gas role, I was doing a pretty good job. I think some people probably looked at me as a little lazier because I didn't want to stay late. And I had that lifestyle balance. I was trying to achieve that even there. Um, but yeah, the, what, where I'm trying to go with this is that I started to think that I needed to do something differently. I wanted to go and, and change my destiny and, Maybe I got a little overly ambitious in a way where I thought, you know, I hadn't really ever seen failure. Everything had kind of worked out for me in my life. And I still am overly optimistic and I do things without analyzing the risk all the way. You know, I've gone skydiving and scuba diving and traveling through um, various areas. And I rented a moped and drove all over like Cat Ba Island in Vietnam. And I, I really do enjoy just taking calculated risks in a way. Yeah. And so I quit the job without, you know, a backup plan. And Tony Robbins and all these people say burn the boats. And so I was like, well, I've got to burn the boats because if I've got a cushy job and a nice paycheck, I'm not going to be hungry and motivated enough to make this thing yeah, successful. It's like stink or swim, basically. Yeah. But then there's also a, a downside to that where like you start to sink too much and you're like, I'm running out of money. I got a house payment to pay. Like, and then yeah. you can't think straight because I'm like yes, totally. putting stuff on credit cards and it became a little more stressful where I never had anxiety. But then I started to be like, oh, this must be anxiety. Cause like, I am worried about what I'm going to do. <laughs> oh, <so laughs> anxiety. I'm yeah. like, I, I think this is what they call anxiety. I'm having a little bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so true. And I think like, especially for creatives, it's really tough to think creatively, you know, when you're worrying about money or worrying whether you can make your next rent. Um, right. And I think 
it's slightly different when you're doing a more kind of um how would i say it like a job which you can just do with your eyes closed but you know most businesses aren't like that as in starting one it's pretty much like it's so multifaceted you have to wear many hats there's so many things to think about if you want to really make it take off anyway so yeah absolutely um, i'm reading the artist's way have you read that book oh my gosh i literally have that here look where, where did i put it I, that's what part. i'm reading right now i promise i'm on um that's so funny. It's over here. Yeah, it's right over here. Um, it's part of it's part of my morning routine, and I've got my morning pages and everything. So how far have you got? I'm on page one hundred and eighty-six right now. I'm almost. I'm more than halfway through. How about you? I'm quite far through. I'm just on page eighty. But we should. I'm loving this book. Yeah, so for anyone who's listening, The Artist's Way, I, I had two people recommend it to me, which is why I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to... And then I've just been seeing so many people on Instagram posting about it. Um, but it's called um, The Artist's Way, A Spiritual Path to Higher Creativity. And she talks about essentially trying to be the best version of yourself, but you know, producing the highest quality of work, um, but from a very spiritual perspective. Right, and, and I found a lot of parallels between that and like entrepreneurship and business, because a top real estate agent that I know who's also artistic, she recommended that to me. And I was kind of like, it, it wasn't a book. The title wasn't something that I would just pick up on my own without a recommendation. Yeah. Right. But I think it talks about a lot of what we're talking about here of you can't just do it for the money. You've got to pour yourself into it. The money will come as a byproduct of the value. But if you're worried about just making the money, you may not create the the art that's true to you, mm-hmm. whether that's a podcast or a video or a painting or your art is building a house, whatever it is. Yeah. So I just wanted that's to name thing. drop that. But that's the thing. I don't, I think it's a bit misleading the title cause it's called the, you think it's for artists, but actually it's for, right. I mean, I do, you know, I always go by the philosophy that we are all creative. It's not just you I know, love that thing as a creative industry, but our, our tagline is be the artist of your life. So you know, so that's I, awesome. Yeah, I believe in that, and so it's really interesting. But um, it's funny that you're reading it. Too. <laughs> I um, had to mention it because I was like, "There's this book you might like it," and you're you're of course reading it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So I guess you know I wanted to delve a bit uh, deeper into real estate before we um, then move on to talk a bit about your podcast. Um, For sure. And uh, you know, real estate it's it's definitely not easy. It's quite a hard and complex topic, and with the housing market being so competitive and constantly changing, especially during COVID. So like a lot of people fleeing from the cities at the moment. Um, What kind of, what would you say to a first time kind of hopeful buyer, I guess, especially in this current landscape? Yeah. So right now, and maybe this is just the pitch that all the real real estate agents are saying, the, the interest rates, answer, Chris. <laughs> the unfiltered answer, Hey, you guys should buy a house with me, but no, the, the, um, the unfiltered answer, I mean, the interest rates have been really historically low, which has actually helped stimulate purchases lately. I mean, the last few months here in my market have been really hot. And I think that's the case in, in multiple markets. There are people leaving from places like California and New York and coming to like Texas or um, I even heard someone else on a podcast saying some people from California are going to Las Vegas Um, a lot you know none of us have a crystal ball we're not sure what's going to happen in the next couple of years but for the time being people are taking this opportunity for those who are fortunate to still have good income or um, jobs 
to upgrade their house or maybe move from the apartment into their own space where if they're going to be working from home, they want their own office and they need a bigger house and they have the kids doing school at home in some areas where if they were in a small apartment, that's kind of starting to light the fire under them to actually make a move. And so that's what I've been seeing. I mean, for for buyers, I would definitely recommend talking to a qualified expert in your area who will give you the non-biased um, lowdown because I, I do know top agents in my market and they'll tell their clients straight up. If they think it's not a good time to buy, they'll say, hey, I, I think you should wait for a year. Let's see how things play out with this, you know, the election and all these things, all this uncertainty in the world and in the US. But for if you're in a good spot, you've got savings, you've got a job that seems like, or a source of income that seems like it's pretty stable, definitely just talk to a lender, see what you're qualified for if you're looking to make a purchase. And it's not as scary as you would think, especially if you do things like house hack. If those, if anyone's familiar with Bigger Pockets, that podcast talks about house hacking. You buy a house, you rent out some of the rooms to friends or to, to roommates if you're open to that. And you may have to share the kitchen or something. And, you know, roommates aren't always the best, but they're paying down most, if not all of your mortgage. So you're living in a house for free. One of my clients did that. He's 22 years old, bought his first house at the beginning of the year. And that was before COVID or anything. He got three roommates and he said he's not like the whole mortgage is being paid for by them, including the landscaping and everything. And now not even at the, not even at the end of the year yet. And we're looking at a second house for him because he's been saving like 98% of his income. That's amazing. And I think, um, yeah, I guess for like, you know, first I want to talk about bit about first time buyers and, you know, yeah. if someone is looking, cause like, I know I speak to a lot of people, a lot of millennials who are thinking of, you know, they're in the age range. I mean, 22 is very young to own a home, but that's, that's like, yeah, he's, yeah. he's awesome. The guys on top of it. You know, most most people in their late twenties, early thirties, you know, maybe early forties, and looking into buying a property. But what are the kind of more practical, tangible things like checklists that they should be working towards? Aside from saving, it's like yeah, so yeah. like how much are we saving? Is it a certain percentage <laughs> of the down payment? Like, what about legal fees and stamp duty? Like, it's just so complex. Right, right. So the beauty of it, in, and I'm not a detail person. I mean, I think I mentioned earlier, I'm very optimistic. I just go into it and I figure everything out on the way. That's like what entrepreneurs do, right? You jump out of the plane, you build the parachute on the way down or whatever. And what I do is I surround myself with experts that know all those things. So I know good insurance agents and mortgage lenders, and I have a compliance officer at my my brokerage. And she can at, she can answer any questions. I even have an attorney on site who can answer any weird questions that I have as they arise. So for the first time home buyer, I recommend talking to a great lender in your area. And again, I'm mainly speaking for what I've seen here in the Houston, Texas market, but this is pretty applicable, I would imagine, to at least the US, North America. It may be a little different in other countries, but just check with local mortgage professionals and get a couple of opinions because a good loan officer or mortgage lender will be able to to tell you everything based on your current snapshot. They'd have to they'd have to get a little bit of homework from you like what's your pay stubs, your income, can you show what you made the last year or two? Um, what what are your current expenses right now? How much are you paying for rent? How much do you have on credit cards? Mm-hmm. And they can give you that debt to income ratio and and give you an idea of 
what you can afford, what kind of payment and how much house you can purchase. So that's the best way to get the snapshot instead of wondering like, oh, how much will I need for a down payment and what what kind of house can I afford? I always tell my clients, hey, before we look at any houses, talk to this lender, get that pre-approval letter. So I know what level of house we can buy, how much your down payment will be and all of that taxes and interest included. Yeah, that's really interesting. So it's actually not about the property price itself and how much of a right. percentage, but it's about you and your individual and your essentially your financial position. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting. But I guess on the flip side for people who are, I mean, you could be a first time buyer, but for uh, people who are really looking to start to build wealth and financial security, but financial mm-hmm. freedom, um, we all know that you're not going to get that just from like a, a monthly paycheck. And so um, everyone understands that that the, the way to build real wealth is through assets or um, through investing in assets in real estate is one component of that. So I guess my next question really is about um, how how does investing in real estate kind of help with cash flow and help you to build your assets faster and what kind of tax advantages are there? Obviously, they'll be different across different countries um, and states, um, like generally speaking. Yeah. So generally speaking, from what I've seen, and I actually got my start again, I joined a company. I worked with investors for about a year before I got my license and went off on my own. And so that's a loud siren. (laughs) You probably hear that on your side, but hopefully someone's okay. Right. Um, So the tax advantages, as you acquire more properties and you've got rentals, you're able to depreciate against, uh, you know, the, the assets and definitely talk to a good CPA. I mean, I'm not a CPA that's got to give that disclaimer, but if you talk to a good tax professional, they can tell you all the strategies. And I know investors who own 20 or 30 properties, and they've told me they essentially don't really pay much tax on those because they're able to depreciate against them. Um, They can roll some of the profits back into the property, like replacing a roof or fixing a water heater or various components. And so while they're making cash and they're getting income from their tenants on paper, it's like they're not really taking a profit. So they're they're also building wealth through appreciation because they're holding these long-term. And so I think what I've heard is that what does it say? Like flipping or wholesaling. If you do these quick transactions, that will make you, um, I guess, rich, but rentals will make you wealthy. That's how you build your true wealth. Yeah, it's interesting. It's quite similar to why, you know, even setting, incorporating your business as a vehicle is a good way to not avoid tax, but to pay lower tax because essentially, you know, you can reduce your profit like legally by um, putting a lot of your expenses through as they call them tax deductible expenses. So, you know, for example, you buy a magazine subscription, which is, you know, about real estate. That's essentially helping you with your business. Um, So you can put that through as an expense and it's deducted from your end total profit. And so overall number is lower. So it probably sounds like it's a similar, you know, tax loophole in a way, um, which is quite interesting. Um, Absolutely. When we talk about... I mean, I think a lot of people think of financial hurdles initially in regards to real estate, um, especially the down payment hurdle, which we spoke about. Um, and, you know, people can borrow from friends, from cash flow insurances, government assist- assisted programs, other money lending programs. 
I guess I just wanted to talk about the cash flow filters step-by-step. Uh, step. So I guess the first the first stage really is looking at the bigger picture and trying to understand, you know, key components like the timing and market, market uh, the location, the price per square meter, and the kind of selling motivation. What What's your opinion on the big picture, I guess? And yeah, so... What would you add to that? So I guess I'd start with saying that, I mean, obviously any investment, there's going to be inherent risk, but the deeper you, the deeper of a discount you can get a property at, the less risk you're taking in a way. Um, I've heard it said that you make your money when you, on the buy, on the purchase. So it's not like you can magically pay full price retail and hope that you can't hope on appreciation because it may or may not happen. But if, if it's worth there's ways of determining what the house is worth or the ARV, the after repair value. If you talk to a good agent who's familiar with the comparables in the area, within five or 10 minutes, they can look at the house that you're looking at in a property, maybe not even a house, like an actual property or piece of land or whatever. And they can look at similar sales in the last six months in you know a half a mile radius. I don't, I can't remember the conversion, but let's say like one kilometer radius and they can tell you, hey, this house sold for this. It's about the same um, model that other house sold for this higher amount because they added a second bathroom or whatever the case may be. And you can get a good idea of what will this house be worth if it needs some love like TLC or if it's a little bit distressed. Um, what, what do you need to put into this house for it to be worth what these other three houses received when they sold? And so you, you might be able to say, Three houses sold for two hundred and fifty thousand U.S. dollars. This one's for sale for you know one eighty. I think my contractor told me it needs about forty or fifty thousand dollars. I might need to get it a little cheaper, and you can use that to make your offers and reduce your risk in a way. But of course, I mean we're we're not really sure what what will happen. You might buy in an area, and then ten or twenty years later, it's not the next amazing area in town. But if you do that enough and you spread your properties across town, you're going to have a few that are in those areas that become um, huge. You know, there's a couple areas in Houston, for example, one's called River Oaks. I remember a college roommate was like, man, my dad was kicking himself because he almost bought a house there. And now it's full of like restaurants and shops. And I'm not sure, I know with COVID, those things, some of them are not doing so great, but it's a very nice part of town. A lot of money in that area, a lot of wealthy people. And the, the property and the land in that area has appreciated, skyrocketed over the last 15 or 20 years in Houston. And so if you just buy properties across town, buy them as deeply as you can, and that's going to be a different conversation than if you're buying a house for yourself that's brand new, you may not get the best negotiating power, right? So it just depends. People need to sell and then people want to sell. When they need to sell, is when they're willing to drop the price and they're just trying to get out of it and you can get a better deal. Yeah, so I guess the seller motivation is really important then. Very important. Yeah, so I guess like, you know, looking at the big picture, then moving on to, you know, the actual costing of everything. And when you look at the costing, it's not just the down payment, it's the closing costs, it's the utilities and insurance and maintenance yep. and property tax, vacancy rate, management fee. It's just like, Jeez, like I didn't know my job was that hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like for any, any person who's not in real estate, like, you know, the average Joe. Oh what's yeah. The, what's the process, the practical step for analyzing these numbers and making sure that I get it, not getting ripped off. 
you know. Right. Now I remember you said you had a finance background, right? So this is why you're asking. <laughs> See, I didn't I didn't do all those classes very well. So I just took them at like a summer school. That's why I'm like, ah, don't worry about the accounting or the, the financial part. We'll figure it out. <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm an accountant, but I definitely don't know anything about, you know, the actual costs associated. Right, with right. But I mean, I guess the, the question, because there are people in the audience, there's the people who want to know all the details. And I'm sure the people who are like, we'll buy the house and figure it out. That's, that's how I tend to do yeah. things, which I'm not saying is the best all the time. It sometimes has got to be in trouble, but um, a good rule of thumb, because there's a lot of little numbers in there. And you'll once you talk to a lender and you figure out, hey, based on my my credit score, if I have a better credit history, you can get better rates, better terms. Um, if you have a little bit worse of a credit score, and I'm not sure if that's a global thing, but in the US, like credit score is pretty huge. Um, if you don't have that great of a credit score, sometimes a lender will coach you, hey, pay this card down, do this maybe pay off that that car loan that you have or get rid of it, buy a used car, and they'll help you to fix your credit so you can get better terms. And once you have the numbers from the lender, they'll basically give you a sheet of paper that tells you, this is what your monthly payment is. This is how much estimated cash to close you'll need, like ten dollars or $12,000. And if you're buying an investment property in the US, typically if you're not living there, they require 20% down payment. There's ways to get a much lower down payment if you're planning to use that as your homestead and you're going to live there for at least two of the two of the five years. And so you can live in the house yourself for like, a, I guess a year or two and you can get a three and a half percent down payment. So it's a much lower down payment. You're not coming out of pocket as much. You'll know your payments. You'll know your estimated taxes and insurance. And um, there are a couple of things like maybe if you're, Houston has some flooding areas. If you're closer to a flood zone, you may pay annually for flood insurance. So having a good insurance agent and mortgage lender will help you break out those numbers. And then the real estate agent, like what I've what I help my clients do, I usually run the comparables to say, okay, what's your monthly payment? What did your lender say in this area? What would your your payment be? And say that all comes out to like a thousand for easy numbers. A thousand a month is your payment. And now I can look at what is the rent value? Oh, well, these five houses have gotten thirteen or $1,400 in rent a month and they look exactly like the one that you're trying to buy. So you can get an idea of your cash flow and your spread, but you don't want to get into the, you don't want to get into the details of saying like, oh, well, I'm going to make three or 400 a month because if there's one major repair or anything like that and you haven't been saving that money aside, it's just going to come out of your pocket. So it's better to have that saved and ready to go. So I hope that kind of answers your question. I mean, if you have the right professionals, they can break out all the numbers for you um, and I can help or an agent can help you identify what you could rent a property for. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, I think that the, what I got out of that is just be prudent. <laughs> yeah, well, I have experts around me because I mean, honestly, I tell my clients, I'm like, I don't know how much money you need to bring to closing. Like that's mm -hmm. the lender will answer that for you because it could also change based on the interest rates and the fluctuations. Yeah. And if their credit score is not that great, they may have to pay more for yeah. a down payment, those kinds of things. Interesting. There's so many factors in play, right? Yes. Cause the lender's taking the risk too of backing that loan. They don't want to foreclose on you and own a mm -hmm. property. They're, they're in the business of lending and making money off of the, the life of the loan. Yeah, totally. And so I guess this moves us to the last stage which is very much about the physical inspection and the, the final offer. 
So yeah. you know, what kind of, I guess I want to focus more on the execution, the contract and what kind of things would uh, one person have to look out for, you know, um, when, when finally signing on the dotted line. <laughs> right, right. So the way that I do it with my clients, and this is, I mean, I came from the investment background. So I came from the, the land of contracts that are a little sketchy and not a whole lot of compliance paperwork. And now that I have my license, it's like, oh, we need a wire fraud notice and this and that. But typically, if you're working with a good agent, it's a little less daunting because they can explain to you what everything means. Like our Texas Real Estate Commission contract is 10 pages long and it looks a little overwhelming, but there's only a couple things that really matter, like the sales price, the closing date. Uh, Do you have an option or inspection period? So what I'll do if a client likes a house and we want to get it under contract or get an executed contract in place, we can submit it with an option period. So that the option period is the same thing as the inspection period. That it just means the same thing. So you might pay a hundred US dollars for a 10 day option period, and that's all negotiable. And that gives you 10 days to get an inspector, bring anybody out, get an opinion from your mom, look, see if they like the house. You can do anything you want and you can terminate for any reason at all, even if you just change your mind and get your earnest money or your deposit back. So there's a couple of different checks there. Um, For easy math, let's say it's a $300,000 house that you're wanting to buy. Typically 1% is the earnest money or down payment, which goes to the title company showing that in good faith, you are serious about this. So that would be $3,000. And then the earnest money might be $100 for 10 days. So if you terminate in the option period, say it needs too much work or there's a serious issue and the seller's not willing to negotiate any further, they're not dropping their price, you can back out and get your earnest money back. If you go past the option period and then you just decide to back out because you change your mind, your $3,000 could potentially be at risk because they don't have to give that back to you. So I'd say that option period is golden for you to do your due diligence, get an inspector out there, check out any of the documents that have been provided, the survey, the history, uh, read through the seller's disclosure. They have to legally disclose everything that's happened to the property that they're aware of. For example, in Houston with flooding, if a house is flooded two different times from, from storms or hurricanes, they have to disclose which storms that they flooded in, when they flooded, how much water did got into the house. Because if they lie about that and they say it never flooded and then it floods again and that owner finds out, the, the original seller could be on the hook for tons of damages and for fraud, basically. Yeah, I guess it's just making sure that they've, you know, the potential buyer is fully informed, right? So. Exactly. Because there's a lot to know. I mean, if you have a good inspector, they'll inspect the house top to bottom. They have tools. They can check the roof. They can see if there's any, with a thermal sensor, if there's any active water leaks. So that kind of gives you the peace of mind because I don't know, when I bought my house, I didn't know anything, right? I was like, I know how to hammer a nail into the wall. That's it. And so, yeah, and I think these days millennials are just like, just not very DIY at all. Yeah, it's like, we don't need to know it. We could just hire someone to do it, right? Yeah, exactly. So stay in your lane. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Stay in your lane. But I mean, I have a couple clients that are, they're very hands-on. They like to you know do DIY projects at home, painting the house, things like that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's up to you, personal preference. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks so much for sharing your knowledge on the real estate uh, industry. I think it's really helpful. Um, I know I've def- definitely learned a lot. Um, but I just wanted to spend the last kind of 
caught off the podcast talking a bit about your podcast and what you've learned from, you know, you've probably got, how many episodes have you got now? I think like 203 at this point. <laughs> when did you start the um, the show? Yeah. So I started my podcast, the Entrepreneur Motivation Podcast in October of 2017. So just over three years now. Yeah. So it's very much focusing on productivity um, and overcoming adversity. Um, and I think obviously with many of these traits being so uh, important during this time now um, in the pandemic, I guess, what have been the kind of key learnings that you've kind of pulled out, even from your own journey, but also from having guests on your show? What kind of tips can you share with our audience in terms of, yeah, just overcoming this really, really tough period? Yeah. So, I mean, the podcast has been great just to connect with so many people. I mean, such as yourself, like how crazy is it? Is it that we could be talking in real time and you're in Singapore and I'm here, right? It's, it's yeah, nuts. It's and it's so different than just watching a show about, you know, what are you doing in Singapore? It's like, we're actually talking and I'm, I'm getting from you like, oh, it's not that crazy over there. It's not that crazy here in the US. And it helps to open your eyes to like what's actually going on, I think, instead of just watching the, the media relying on that. So that's been one of my favorite things of connecting with people. But another thing is that I've been making it a goal to talk to at least two people a week for my podcast, ideally. And that's helping, it's forcing me to grow because I'm meeting people that are successful, that are positive, that are like-minded, that are further ahead than me. And so as I have questions or as I have challenges in my business or with my mindset, I can get almost like free coaching or advice from someone on the other side of the camera and then just share that with my audience. And then another thing I've really learned is that some people are like, dude, you're such a naturally good speaker. I'm like, no, listen to podcast number one. It wasn't very good. I was clear. We had the same conversation today. Yeah, it's like, just so that- bad. No, you did not listen to my first. I mean, I'm my first episode is still published on. <laughs> I have mine too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally open. But if you go and listen to that first and then listen to the most recent one, you really do see the difference night and day difference and i even did toastmasters before i could speak well and clearly and i wouldn't say i would still say um ah like i would say all those filler words but i always got feedback that i was monotone and now it's now i actually have the oh yeah let's do that you know the the whole sing-song voice that that took some time for me to practice like yeah i feel that way (laughs) it feels weird to say when you're usually like yeah that's awesome (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, obviously, I've only kind of met you recently. So I feel like you're definitely a lot more natural. And I don't see that. But a good tip for I learned from she, um, she's like a really renowned speaker here in, in Southeast Asia, Simone Heng. She was also mm-hmm. on the podcast, and she actually spoke about public speaking. And um, she always says, if you you know how we always say, um, ah, it just comes naturally. It's a good trick to stop saying um ah like if you're presenting in public or even on podcasts is to actually um so you can't really see me on the camera if you're listening to the podcast but you would make the the mouth shape to say uh, um but you you would train yourself to not um make a noise make noise yeah so and then as the more times you do it your brain kind of rewires it and it basically trains itself to just not make any noise like you're making you're like Hi, my name is Carmen, and today, you know, (laughs) it's like a slight pause, but a pause is better than an um and an ah, so. That's really good. I'm going to try it. 
but um yeah it's a little tip there <laughs> and then just recording yourself too right getting the feedback i always listen to every podcast that i create and i'm actually supposed to have one that releases this morning that i forgot to do but <laughs> i'm going to do that right after this but i release it and then i listen to it whether i'm at the gym or driving i want to hear oh how did that conversation go what do we talk about and sometimes i'll cringe if i'm talking too much interrupting and i'm just like gosh i need to not do that and then the following episode, I will be conscientious of what I wanted to improve on and it'll get better. Where if I want to talk too much, I'll let them continue to talk and I'll just bite my tongue and let them continue to add value. Cause I'm very, I like to jump in and add my two cents and yeah, totally. it just takes practice, right? Repetitions, you get better over time at anything. Yeah. It's also quite hard when you're not physically there with a the person in the room doing, having a conversation because there's obviously slight de uh, delays and lags with being online. So it is right. a bit harder. I agree, but we should definitely do a, um, another episode just purely talking about, you know, the mechanics of podcasting. Yeah. Um, that'd be great. Very much like you don't realize how much there is to think about, like from the brand conceptualization to producing, to like speaking into the technical side. So Asking yeah, interview questions. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Everything. Quite, um, quite comprehensive. Yeah, and you just take a crash course in it by figuring it out over time. I mean, there are courses out there now on how to start a podcast and what to buy. And that probably would have helped a lot because I, I probably struggled longer than I needed to. I even edited all my own podcasts for the first two years. It would be very time consuming. I might record it on a Sunday and then Sunday night, I'm like, oh, I got to edit this so I can release it on Monday. Mm. And now it's a well-oiled machine. I've got three or four virtual assistants. One makes a thumbnail for YouTube. One edits the podcast. If there's any us, ahs, or random lags in there that they need to clean out. Mm. And it's just beautiful so because- need to practice that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't even have to do that. I mean, I, I try my best to get it right on the first time, but if they go through an edit, they'll sometimes be able to clean it up even further. So it's awesome where now I'm just talking to people like this and enjoying my conversations and I send them the footage and a day before it goes live, they're like, hey, Chris, the files are done. Edited podcast, edited video, thumbnail, everything's ready to go. Yeah, it's like all done for you. And so yeah. talk a bit about the practical tips that you um, that you can give in growing your reach for the podcast. Um, you, you, you mentioned that you have around 40,000 downloads a month, right? Yeah. And actually, surprisingly, I just saw the October numbers and it jumped from like 41,000 a month to 49,000 a month. Wow. So I had a huge spike and I've been making a push lately for getting on other shows, you know, spreading my message out there and just sharing kind of what I have to say. And I think it's, it's hard to track like what's working the best. Is it, was it a show that I was on? Was it a post? Was it someone reposting me on their story? So I think it's a combination of all of those things. And I'm just trying to get out there as much as possible. And I believe that from what I've heard on other shows, if you're on a podcast and you're trying to grow your podcast, that is way better than trying to do a Facebook ad for someone to stop and go, go to listen to your podcast. It's not going to happen versus someone who listens to the podcast they love and you're on their podcast already. And they like what you had to say for 40 or 45 minutes then your call to action is for them to come check out your podcast. They're going to come and listen to you if they resonated with you. And not everyone will. They might be like, okay, that was cool. I'm not going to really follow that person anymore. And others will come follow you and they'll try to find your free guide and they'll DM you. 
I, I had someone from London yesterday um, DM'd me and added me on Facebook and was like, hey, I just heard, I just saw this on your story and I'd like access to that free tool you're giving away. Here's my email, can you email it to me? And how cool is that, that like someone who's starting a business in London said she listens to my podcast when she walks her dog and she loves it and it's so motivating. Yeah, that's like the most rewarding thing when you get DMs and saying that, oh, I was listening to a podcast on the way. I'm like, that's still well, crazy to me. Yeah, like, well, you're listening. I'm like, oh, what? Because you sometimes put it out and you think, is anyone even listening to this? But I actually had someone message me because they heard uh, my interview with you. So on your podcast. That's and so cool. He was like, so great to hear your story. He was like, you know, even though, you know, you're kind of out there in public, but you just sounded so, you know, down to earth. And I, I thought he meant my podcast because he didn't really communicate it well. But and then he was like, "No, it was Chris's podcast." I was like, "That's oh, awesome!" I, I love when that happens too. Own, but I think that's it's probably a good idea. It's probably better to cross pollinate as opposed to. I mean, I don't really believe in Facebook or Instagram ads anyway. But um, yeah, I think uh, partnerships are really the best way. Yeah, just collaborations and I mean being able to share the message and I had a I had a listener who's been listening to my show for 2 years and he has a YouTube channel with 530,000 subscribers. I was like, "You're listening to my podcast." He's like a 22-year-old, I think he's 21 years old, based out of uh California and he has this cool YouTube channel where he um he shows his reaction. Him and his brother do reaction videos to like Korean pop uh, music videos. Oh and they, <laughs> it's really funny, but he actually, that episode should be going live next week on my show. And I know timelines, you can't talk about them on podcasts because someone's going to listen to this if you release it in two weeks and they're going to be like next week. But then my show already came out three weeks ago. So disregard, just check it out. But um, that's another thing is you get to connect with amazing people. And I was just like, hey, let's, Let's do a Zoom call, man. I'll record it. We'll make it a podcast episode. I want to hear about how how did you and your brother grow a YouTube channel to half a million subscribers in two years? Like that's yeah, awesome. That's crazy. So you YouTube can use your platform. platform. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just delving deep into, I mean, I know you are super into like, I guess I want to use the term biohacking, right? Yeah, biohacking, like productivity hacking. I'm just trying, how do you do things better, faster, how do I just automated? Hack, hack life, you know? <laughs> hack everything, yeah. <laughs> You're like a major hacker right now, Chris. Like, Actually, my, my LLC oh, name that yeah, I created right. is called Dream Hacker because I was like, how do I hack my dreams and make them reality? So I called it Dream Hacker. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so first of all, share, share with us what are your top five hacks? And it doesn't yes. have to be within, you know, work or professional life. Awesome. So I think right off the top of my head, I'm going to write them down because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of go with some random ones, but I want to make sure I don't say the same one two, time, or two times. So my favorite hacks recently, and this may be different depending on your business, but for me with real estate and with the COVID stuff, I know everyone's jumped onto Zoom. I was already doing Zoom. I love Zoom, but the biggest hack so far for me has been Calendly and yeah. That for booking links, so game changer because before it's like friends are like, oh, we should get lunch sometime or coffee sometime and it never happens. Now I have a link where I'm like, here's my link for lunch. I've got a 1130 to 1230 every day. You can pick any time and we'll set it up and then location to be decided. So I've got links for buyer consultations, seller consultations, podcast interviews, and you're, you're allowed to put rules in place 
depending on what you want. So my podcast links only let people book me on Tuesdays and I only allow two maximum occurrences. And that way I can batch my recordings. So my first tip would be to check out Calendly or some kind of booking tool. And another tip would be to batch tasks, which I kind of said there, but I was finding that I was doing a podcast on Tuesday. The what? No, I say I do this. You do this too? Yeah. So good. Yeah. Because I was finding that I was doing one on Tuesday, one on Thursday, and I have a supply chain background. So for anyone familiar with that, it's all about optimizing and streamlining and combining tasks. So I was doing one on Tuesday, one on Thursday, but I was finding like, well, now I have to get back to my webcam and podcast setup or find a quiet (laughs) space. And it's sometimes you're out and about, or I'm showing a house across town, like an hour away. Houston's pretty big. And so batching tasks allow me to sit here, do a podcast. And then right after, cool, I have a 10 minute break. And then I've got another one hour podcast. And right there, I've got two podcasts done for the week. So my second tip, I'm writing it down, batch your tasks. Oh, this has been a huge one. Number three, I'm going to say delegate and slash outsource. Four hour work week talks about this, but it took me some time to figure it out because I read it when I still had a day job and no real business. But now I'm at a point where I've got a personal assistant based out of the Philippines and she's helping me with various projects. She even took it upon herself as one of my tasks to her to find me someone to do vlog video editing, to edit my thumbnail video. So instead of me going to find those people, she did that for me. And so it's opened up my time immensely. (laughs) I'm delegating everything. I'm at a point right now where I have even a few local assistants in Houston where I can delegate any request that comes in, I can tell someone on my real estate side to do it or podcast related. My personal assistant can help me with that. So I almost feel like I'm just here sending text messages to people of what to do and it's getting done and it's amazing. Did you have any questions or feedback on that? <laughs> what, how many, was that five? That was, well, sorry, I did two in one. So Calendly was one, batch tasks was two delegate slash outsource was three and I can throw in two more bonus ones in there. Well, I know we said five, so they're not really bonus. So let's say, okay. Um, listen to podcasts or books on your downtime. So that's another one for me where if you're running outside or jogging on a treadmill, like don't just listen to music or watch a movie. You, you can, if you want, but I would take that time to learn because say you work out four hours a week I know sometimes you need the music to like pump yourself up, but oftentimes I just listen to a podcast because I love what I learn more than hearing a song that I've heard 500 times, right? Like I love songs sometimes, but if you've heard a song 500 times, do you have to listen to it again at the gym? I don't know. No, it, I, I do agree, but I am, I'm a really big music lover. And yeah. I don't know. I just... I sometimes do really feel guilty though for listening to music because I'm like, I should be listening. This to is wasted time. Music. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but actually, no, I'm going to take this time to really listen to music, especially if I'm at the gym. But no, recently I have, I've been really uh, listening to the Nike, Nike trained podcast whilst I train, uh, which okay. is really inspiring because it's like, I don't know, sometimes listening to business or like spirituality or wellness whilst I'm working out just doesn't quite do it for me. Um, right maybe change the genre yeah the the right genre and learning about 
you know the facets of uh, fitness is really relevant and I'm like yeah I'm just going to work out harder so that's awesome it really depends but also I, I don't want to you know, you shouldn't feel guilty if you want to listen to music during uh, exercising. But I do agree. I think whenever I have some downtime, when I'm cleaning, I'm like, podcast, you know, um, AirPods <laughs> in straight away. Exactly. A- anytime. I'm, well, I guess I'm reading Think Like a Monk now, too. And he talks about oh, yeah, even if you're doing that. the dishes. Have you read that one yet? I haven't read it. I started it, but I mean, I love... Um, Jay Shetty, oh, yeah. No, no, you're talking about... I was thinking about... Um, Sorry, I'm thinking about Robin Sharma, the monk who sold his Ferrari. Yes, I, that one's a good one too. So this is actually a new one that came out with by Jay Shetty. And yeah, yeah. he'll talk about even if you're doing something like just washing the dishes by hand, take yeah. the time to actually like listen to the water coming off the plate and the soap and like see the bubbles. And usually I'm like, if I'm doing anything like that, I want to be listening to something because like I can't just watch this boring thing, right? Um, so I guess it just depends. Do you think that's a problem of potentially always being on then? Because he's always yeah. talking about being present, right? And that's a huge really problem now. On one one topic, and I think maybe you and I are quite similar in that we're very type A personalities and always want to be learning and go go stuff. go. Yeah, and sometimes I find that makes me more anxious, especially like a time like now when you know, the whole world isn't really moving. And there are, I don't know about you, but I feel like there are limitations on my side. Like I can't even go home, see my family in the UK. And you're not moving forward, right? And I'm finding it chill (laughs) or living the present. I get it. I get it. So I guess my last tip then to help with that would be to time block. So time blocking, Basically, I've got allocated times and this actually integrates with my Calendly, like my Calendly can force me to time block because when I send you the link for lunch, you can't book it at 2 p.m. It's got to be in the window that I have allowed for it. And I also have rules in place where if I send you a link to give me a a 15 minute call, it has at least a three hour delay. So you can't just book it and I'm like, oh man, I have to call you in five minutes because that is it makes you more anxious and stressed like, oh man, I'm not ready. I'm not even in a place to have a good call. It's loud outside. But if someone books a call for three hours from now, or if I send a link to book a podcast and there's a 24 hour window where they have to wait 24 hours, now I don't have to worry so much. I'm like, okay, that's tomorrow at 2 p.m. I'm, I'm not worried about that. And I'll set timers. If I'm focused on a task, I'll do my task for 25 minutes or 30 minutes. And when the timer's off, I, I kind of hit send on that last email and I go do the next thing. And so it's been very good. Do not disturb helps with time blocking, turn the phone off. Mm. Don't even let people call you. They can leave you a voicemail and you can get back to them. Yeah. I don't have WhatsApp notifications come up on my phone anymore. And it, I've yeah. had two years now and it's been a game changer. Honestly. It's so game changer. Like, Honestly, I've been in that that mantra, the belief that like nothing, if unless it's life threatening, it's not urgent. Mm-hmm. Like everything else is. There's a book I haven't read it, but I love the title. Everything is figure outable. I think like oh, you can figure out Marie Folio. Yes, I think it's Marie Fol- Folio. Um, I heard her on a podcast or on a Impact Theory with Tom Bilyeu, oh, but yeah, I love that great. title. Yeah, she's really good. She's really really inspiring. Actually, I've heard her stuff recently, but um. Yeah, I love her stuff. So I guess, you know, just to wrap things up, two more questions yep. for you. Firstly, what is your morning routine like? And I know you can't <laughs> one. Yeah, and sorry, I know we're, 
I know it's late on your side too. I know we said like 45 minutes, we're at the 55 minute mark. I have my stopwatch, but I'm enjoying it. So if you're cool, we can keep going. set a stopwatch for the podcast. <laughs> Just so I could be sure. So I know we we're going a little over, so I won't make it too uh, long-winded, but my morning routine for those listening, if you've listened to um, Hal Elrod's podcast or you've read The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod, that's what I'm doing right now. I've been doing that for two years and he has something called SAVERS, um, S-A-V-E-R-S, and that just stands for silence, affirmation. Yes. You, you do that um, too? Yeah. No, I haven't. I don't really do it as much, but I have read that book. You have read it? Yeah, that's a good book. And I stuck with it, right? So there's there's uh, silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and then scribing or journaling. Yes. So I'm doing that plus the morning pages right now from the mm-hmm. artist's way. Yeah. Um, so it's it's been that every morning. And so that's why, yeah, thanks for the extra time. I know we pushed our, our appointment back a little bit. And that gave me some time to do my meditation and some of my affirmations stuff this morning. But so I do that every morning. S is the... S is the silence for... And you can change the numbers. I think he says at least five minutes of silence. I'll meditate for 10. And then A or yeah, A is affirmations. So just saying... I, ha- I actually have a recording that I've, of myself saying affirmations. Like, I am a successful real estate agent and investor. I own a million, you know... Uh, income producing properties, like all these cool things. And so I listen to it every morning while I'm making my coffee. And then I come back and I do, um, the V is visualization. I look at my vision board and more goals on paper that I've printed out the same ones every day. E is exercise. I don't just like stop everything and do exercise in that order. I do Mm -hmm. it at the end. The R is for reading. So I read for at least 20 or 25 minutes every morning and then the final S is for scribing or journaling. Oh, journey. So, you know what? That's quite similar to the 5am club. I don't know if you've read that book. I have heard it. I haven't read that one yet, though. Yeah, he, t- he doesn't kind of describe it in an acronym, but very much focuses on those, you know, five. Yeah. Um, I think that's why the Miracle Morning took off so much, because it was just a nice way with the acronym and that their Facebook group is huge, like 400,000 plus members or something crazy. And um, it's a very big community, but it's it's just easier to remember like, oh, savers. Yeah, I'm doing my savers this morning. The acronym was kind of nice, but 5 a.m. club, that's definitely worth checking out. But I mean, essentially successful people, they all meditate, journal, they're, they're reflective, they're, they give their time to themselves in the morning, right? So I think that's key, not rushing into the day, but having like a 30 minutes or one hour block for yourself before you start the day. Yeah, I totally agree. I yeah, I always rave about a morning routine. And, and the thing is, you don't have to do all five or all of them every day. Right. Like, you know, just aim for at least a minimum of two, you know. Exactly. So, and he even has a six minute version. Like if you can only do each thing for one minute, which I mean, you'll read like one page. But if that's what you have to do. One minute. Yeah, it's like meditate for one minute or silence for one minute. But I've done it for like 10 or 15 minutes before on vacation if, if necessary if we're going to go do something crazy, like a hiking Mount Batur in Indonesia, um, we had to be there at 2 a.m. So I did my morning routine after the hike, which was like at 8 a.m. And then I took a nap because my schedule's all messed up. But I haven't missed it in like over 200 days or something. I've been tracking it. Haven't missed a single day this year. And here we are, November 5th, recording this. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so I guess just to wrap things up, what is one quote that you live by? 
So the motto of my podcast, which is a quote that I definitely live by, is less dreaming, more doing. Because it's important to dream, it's important to have big goals, but a lot of people get stuck there where they just think of the things that they want to have and they don't do anything, they don't take the steps necessary to get there. And so I think it's important to stop dreaming sometimes and like, you know, have have your dreams on paper where it becomes a plan and then set deadlines where you've got goals and targets to work towards. So that is a quote that I think that I live by, less dreaming, more doing. Sometimes I do too much of it, like I mentioned, where I just I, I just do it without doing a lot of homework and I figure it out on the way. But um, so far, it's been working out pretty well. You know, I've, I've met really great people that can help me and fill in the gaps that I'm not sure of how to do. And I'm making really cool friends in the process and now starting to make some, uh, like the best money I've made in a while um, in the process. Actually, my record month was last month. I think I mentioned, like I never have made that much income in a single month before. So I'm starting to enjoy life more, have more fun, less stress and making more money, which is something that I was trying to achieve for so long and finally I'm getting there. Yeah, it's like finally paying off, right? And um, yeah, I think that really sums up everything that we've talked about today. Um, so I'm just going to wrap this conversation up and say thank you so, so much, Chris, for joining us. Thank you. Um, and sharing your story and sharing all the great advice to those listening at home. I always feel like I have so much to learn from you. And <laughs> I yeah, appreciate I that. Gonna have to Likewise. Another, um, yeah, another episode on podcasting maybe, or even biohacking. I just feel like, you know, yeah, I'm something. talking about biohacking <laughs> with people and most people think I'm so annoying, but <laughs> <laughs> find someone else who's also, you know, kind of keen and finds it interesting and um, eager to learn new ways and new methods. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Carmen. It's awesome connecting and I appreciate your, you uh, spending this time with me. I know we went a little over, but hopefully the audience found everything yeah, valuable. Stuff, <laughs> yeah. And so <laughs> all the details will be in the show notes, show notes. So if you're looking for Chris, you can connect with him on there. Um, and if you're looking for more inspiration, there's tons of other stories and interviews and resources, just head to another startup story.com and you can find me on instagram at another startup story and you can find chris at you're on chris bellow is that right yep on instagram chris you can go to chris or chris bellow 09 I'm, I'm trying to get the chris bellow like there's somebody who claimed that account and literally has zero posts and i'm just like oh my gosh where is this guy so i could go punch him and take that account but um <laughs> Chris Bellow 09. That's my high school graduating year. So very, very cool. Zero nine is like, yeah, very special number. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, you know, the podcast is obviously growing through word of mouth. So please do continue to share it with your friends or anyone you think might find it useful. It would mean um, a lot if you are enjoying it to leave a review on Apple because this helps us get discovered by more like-minded people. And please do check out our website if you'd like to join our growing community. And thanks again, Chris. Uh, we'll chat soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Carmen. Bye.